Welcome to the Mad Writers Union. Speculative destruction one episode at a time. I'm Jay Wolf. I'm Tim Berger. I'm Nina Niskanen. And today we are joined by the illustrious Mer Lafferty. Welcome, Mer. Hey guys, Yay. how are you? Good. Well, thank you. <laughs> We're excellent now that you're here. Yay. <laughs> so, um, just on the off chance that there is some listener out there who doesn't know who Mer Lafferty is, Philistines. She is a <laughs> podcaster, <laughs> Campbell Award winner, um, writer, and editor of Mothership Zeta. Thank you. <laughs> My my brain just did a total blank. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm forgetting something. There's oh, there's a lot of, of stuff. I there's can never remember lot. all of it either. <laughs> <laughs> there is. Ditch Diggers. Author, podcaster, editor, that's pretty f- safe yeah. umbrella. Yeah. I should be writing. Um, yeah. yeah. Tons Maybe, of stuff. Uh, one of the longest lasting podcasts I think I've ever heard of. Yeah, I've been going since 2005, August. That's remarkable. That's yes. remarkable longevity. It really is. Well, I've still got a lot of angsting to do, which is pretty much what I do. <laughs> I just try to acknowledge that if I've got angst, then other people probably have similar angst, so we all try to work through it together. Only what I'm mm-hmm. finding is, unfortunately, some of the angst never goes away, so I always have fodder. Right. Sure. You level up it, and then you, you know, angst about new stuff. Oh, yeah. It's definitely one of the podcasts I listen to to help me deal with my uh, baggage fulls of anxiety as well. So. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, since I've been doing it for so long, every once in a while I go, haven't I said everything? And then someone will tell me that it actually helps them and it helps them now. So it, it, it helps me keep going. Thank you very much. Yes, I, I I will abs- absolutely share the sentiment. But we brought you here to uh, talk about serialized fiction, and you've done quite a lot of that, haven't you? Yeah, I guess I have, uh, both on my own and as part of another team. Yeah, and um, Playing for Keeps wasn't your first book, right? It was my first professionally published book. It was put out by a small right. press in uh, 2008, I think. Um, but I'd podcasted it first as uh, in 2007, but I had done some novella podcasts starting in 2006. So, so it's, did, it's, it, it, did it start as a podcast first, and then, and then you uh, kind of transcripted it into a work? No. Or? I wrote it, and then I tried to get an agent for it, and I gave myself a deadline. And if I didn't get an agent for it by X date, I would podcast it. I didn't okay. find an agent, so I started podcasting it. And then after it got popular, podcasting is when a small press showed interest in it. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. But the one that I'm really interested in is Book Burners, because I I love that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good to hear. Book Burners is a a a project I'm very proud to be part of. Um it's well, current currently we're working on season 3. Uh I think season 2 just finished being released. Um right. 
it's it's out by cereal box and what they do is they take one story concept they build a team and then they bring the whole team together in some one spot and then they take a weekend to do what we call a story summit where we just talk about building the new season and we talk about the different characters and their uh motivations and how they react to all the other characters and their personal arcs and the arcs of the season and it's a couple of very intensive days of work and then we all separate and go off to write our different episodes and it's uh they call it hbo for ebooks because we're we put (laughs) together like a tv writing room and I can say that with confidence because we actually have a TV writer on our team, uh, Margaret Dunlap. Nice. So oh, she right. she right. helped oh, cool. us. Yeah, she helped us get the sense of collaboration going and how a whole bunch of people can work together on one plot. And uh, I don't know if we just have a great team or Margaret set us straight or we're lucky, but we've not had any big uh, issues that that I would I would think a bunch of creatives would have once you herd them all together into one room and try to drive <laughs> one story, but um, it's it's a great team and we we're lucky enough to be uh, the book for Bookburner season one is actually coming out in a couple of months. It's uh, Saga bought the print rights. Right, sure. So yeah, season one will be coming out in book form and uh, working on season three now and it's. It's an ensemble story about uh, it's it's like Leverage or Warehouse Thirteen or uh, the Librarians, where you've got a group of people who have uh, their job is to squash the rising tide of magic in the world, and our group is put together by the Vatican, although not everybody in the group is uh, very Catholic or Vat- or pro Vatican. But, uh, yeah, we work hard to make conflict within the team as well as the conflicts yeah. with the magic. And it's a lot of fun. And... The... Sorry? Sorry. No, I was just going to say that plus the conflicts within the characters themselves. Yes. Because, for example, Grace is awesome. I think Grace is a lot of people's favorite characters. And she's certainly <laughs> my favorite character to write. Yes. I was uh, so lucky and happy when I got the uh, Grace's Day Off oh, yeah, uh, that was good. episode <laughs> in season one. Grace is somebody whose uh, her time is very, very precious. And she is allowed one day off a year that she can do with whatever she wants. And I was, I was heavily influenced by the, um, by the Death miniseries by Neil Gaiman. Oh, when, right, sure. uh, death mm. gets one day off a year every hundred years where she becomes human. Um, so I tried to think of, you've got a, a Grace is their, um, Grace is their muscle. And so I tried to think of somebody who is the Vatican's fist, what she would want to do on her day off. And, uh, it was a lot of fun to try to make an interesting story out of that. So I think there are a lot of people who really want to see Grace's story play out. Yes. And we've Myself got some included. fun things scheduled <laughs> yeah. for season three. I'll just tease you with that. Aww. <laughs> it's like a year until it comes out, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it would be. 
maybe, you know, maybe eight months. I think it'll be released in the spring. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not in charge of that part. All I know is my own deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for book burners, did the story com- concept come from Cereal Box themselves or did someone pitch it or... Okay, T- take this with a grain of salt. I'm not sure if I if I'm 100% right about this, but I believe the idea of C- Cereal Box came uh came from Julian Yap, our uh our co-publisher, but um he's good friends with Max Gladstone who's on our team, and it was mm-hmm. Max's concept for book burners that I think helped push Julian oh. to make this whole thing uh a reality. So the concept of book burners comes from Max Gladstone and Julian Yap. Uh, Max is our, I forget what his title is. He's, he's our head writer, but I think he's our story uh, runner, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, the story everything editor. goes kind of like yeah, a showrunner. <laughs> everything goes through Max. Um, and Max takes a look at everything to make sure all the voices are similar and stuff. And, um, sure. but then, you know, it's been growing a lot. So there's now the witch who came in from the cold and uh, Tremontaine, yeah. I think it's called, and yeah. we made the YA cereal uh, box Hall just for, launched Whitehall. The, uh... Yeah, so mm-hmm. they've they're really branching out into a lot of different genres now, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's just very exciting to see where they're going, and I'm really proud to be part of it. It's really funny because uh, during a c- candid conversation with the whole team, we all ad- admitted we thought we were the re- weak links, which, which I think was stupid for Max to say because he's like the boss. Like he's he's in charge of all the story and what it does. But, but you know, we've got very literary writing, Bryant's, Brian Francis Slattery, who just writes the mm-hmm. weirdest stuff. And we admire him so much. And he said he thought he was the weak link. And, you know, Margaret with, with, with her TV background. And she wrote for the freaking middleman. And, oh, you know, wow. right. it's just, we, we've got such an amazing group. And now we've got um, writer and transmedia expert uh, Andrea Phillips on the team. So uh, she's been on for season two and three. And she's right. amazing. So, um, mm-hmm. and then Max and me, I think. Sure. Awesome. Um, speaking of, uh, of another type of serialized fiction, you've also re- written for Star Wars, isn't that right? Yes, yes. That was very, very exciting. Got to write um, a short story in the Star Wars universe. So I'm betting that was a very different experience from, from the sort of let's all get huddled together in a cabin in the woods somewhere. Oh yes, that was uh, the editor calls me and and tells me to pitch her four or five ideas, and then she tells me which one to work on, and I work out a an outline, and then it goes to her, and then she edits it, and then I turn in first draft, and then it goes to her, and then it goes to Lucasfilm, and then I sit for weeks and weeks and hope. <laughs> so uh, no, there's there's not I wouldn't call that collaboration. That's uh, me writing yeah. in a licensed property universe, and I've written work for hire before, so I know not to have any um, tight hold on any of my ideas because right. they don't belong to me. Right. The world doesn't belong to me. I don't have any say. If they want to push something 
one way or another, that's their right. So, um, um makes sense. And I'm really, I'm really glad I have that. I, because I started writing and role-playing games. So I knew that, that, you know, if I wanted to put a canon character in this position and the, the producer said, no, that won't work. I'm like, oh, okay. Instead of, yes, this is my brilliant idea. So um, <laughs> I found working, you know, with the collaborative group on Serial Box and then uh, in other people's intellectual properties, it's, I write it and they tell me whether I'm in the right direction or not. <laughs> um, it's so exciting, but really it, it's just a short story. I'm hoping it, it leads to more if they like me, but uh, it's right. a short story that'll be out in, I believe, the Star Wars Insider this winter, and it's uh, tied into Rogue One, and I think that's all I can say. Cool. That's still ex- incredibly exciting. Oh, yes. So, yay. It was, it was a real thrill to work on, and I'm very happy with how it turned out. So, um, getting back to playing for keeps, because you mentioned that the... Uh, in, in Star Wars, of course, or in Work for Hire, the universe and the ideas aren't yours. But um, if we go back to playing for keeps, then that is something that is very much yours. Yes. So let me see if I can phrase this <laughs> in a language we will all understand. <laughs> um, how, how, how is that experience different from because you were obviously probably getting feedback as the podcast went on did you incorporate any feedback or was the story set from from the moment you started querying agents with it the story was pretty set i never know how to say this without sounding like a jerk but i don't really i don't consider when i or rather i haven't serialized books in a while, but when I was serializing my own stuff via podcast, I didn't consider it to be like a workshop-type atmosphere, so I wasn't taking advice on which way to, to push it. And I didn't have a lot of people suggesting which way to push it, Oh, um, which is good. I, I had some people <laughs> yeah. who were unhappy with the way some of the things went, like uh, with my Heaven series, Afterlife series, but... um. I guess what I think about, if you think that there are, you know, X hundred or X thousand people reading or listening, and then one person sends you suggestions, and then someone else sends you suggestions, and then if you if you make yourself open to it, it's like, how many of those do you listen to? Which one's right? Right. I like, you know, a small workshop group, or my editor, or my agent. I like focused feedback rather than just random people that I have no idea whether it's a good idea or not. Right, sure. Yeah. You got to build that trust up with people. Yeah. Sure. Was this before or after you went to Bible Paradise? I'm just asking out of curiosity. It was after. I went to Bible Paradise in 2006. So um, I think I was working on the Afterlife series around that time. I can't remember when I launched it. That's very embarrassing. You've and had a lot I've going lost, on. I think that's only natural. You've, you've you have done a lot, a lot of, things. of things. Yeah, yeah, I have. But um, but yeah, uh, playing. F- I I did workshop the first couple of chapters at Viable Paradise. Right. Um, 
and then finished the book and released it the next year. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So uh, let me uh, let me just kind of because this is one thing that I've been wondering about for serialized fiction myself. Um, my concept of it is essentially that you have the idea in your head that you're going to start writing this huge arc, and then you're going to start just telling pieces of that that tale, um, maybe from different angles. Is that the way that you approach it, or or do you just have a, a general idea of where you're going, and you just want to tell pieces of the story along the way? Do you start from the arc first, or, or I, I guess, does that make any sense? I'm probably not making much yeah. sense. Yeah, or where do you start from, maybe? Um Yeah. What was the first one again? <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the first, the, the... No, no, it's fine. It, I, I'm highly confusing sometimes. Um, I was wondering, do you start from the arc where you have the idea of, I know exactly the story that I want to tell. Um, because I've been toying with the serialized fiction idea in my head myself. But I, I know the story that I want to tell and I, I know the points that I want to hit. Um, but I also know some other people that that uh, they want to do a serialized thing, and they just know where they want to go, but they're doing more exploratory writing to get to that point. So, which way do you? Which way have you found helpful for you, or or is there a third way? What am well, I doing I wrong? Am... Is essentially <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm a, a pantser instead of an outliner, so okay. I um. What I do is I start, I have an idea of what I want to write, but I pretty much just start and try to throw in little hints along the way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll mention that someone has a relative in this city who is a lawyer and just leave it there. Or I'll mention that someone else has a fear and I'll just leave that there. And then later on mm-hmm. in the story, I'll find, hey, you know what, that, that seed that I planted, that, that relative I mentioned, that, that phobia I mentioned, that'll come up useful here, and it'll make it look smart, like I was foreshadowing. But really, <laughs> I was just putting something down for me, just in case I wanted to come pick it up later. That's more how I write. I'm not, um, personally, I'm not, I usually don't have an end in sight. Um mm-hmm. With the team, it's a little harder because everybody's got to know what, sure. where it's going. And so we have the beats of here's where our characters are at the beginning of the story and here's where they are at the end of the story and here's kind of what happens in the middle and now it's your job to go make that happen. Um, we, have a, we have several structured, uh, a, a structured process of... Everybody turn in their outline, and then we have a phone call about the outlines. And then everybody turn in their first draft, and then we have another phone call, things like that. And we just mm-hmm. had our outline phase, and I I was so embarrassed because my outline was so much shorter than everybody else's. <laughs> but, you know, they did point out that, that you know, I said everything that was going to happen. I didn't mm-hmm. include some of the emotional beats that they were concerned about, but I had in my head that were going to happen. So I knew that mm-hmm. the emotional right. beats were going to be there. I just didn't tell them that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, but I'm just not good with the outlining. It's it's really hard for me. So um, mm-hmm. I've been struggling with an outline for a new project right now, and finally today I just said, screw it, I'm going to sit down and write it, because that's how my brain works. That's where 
Cool things are not unveiled usually until I'm in the middle of writing a scene. And I don't like the fact that I'm like that, but I figure once I accept the fact that I'm like that, things will be easier. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's easier to work around something that you see as a, a hurdle if you know that the hurdle is there and acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. If you ignore it and keep running into it, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, I think with the serial thing, you it's just like pantsing or outlining. You realize what you're stronger with, and you try to do that as best as it fits the project. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was writing, um, I was trying to write the Afterlife series one episode at a time, instead of like a whole book. So I wrote one episode and released it, and then I wrote the next episode. And that was just a I just was trying it out. But when I was in the middle of the second one, I got stuck and I didn't know where I was going. And so at that point, I outlined the whole episode from what I had written to where I wanted to go, where I thought I wanted to go. And that helped. So I'm like, okay, I'm good at outlining in the middle of the project. So it's... uh, It's almost like you just need to see where the bones are. Yeah. So so you kind of have to just... Figure out what works. And I wouldn't say you're doing anything wrong. You just figure out your... If you if you know where you're going, then point that way. But if you only know where you're starting, then point a way and keep going. <laughs> Out of curiosity, you sold the, uh, the book that's coming out. I forget the name. Six Wakes. Thank you. Uh, you sold Six Wakes on proposal, right? Mm-hmm. So, what happened there? Oh, what happened there? <laughs> well, let's see. How to put this diplomatically. And I just spilled tea on my desk. Sorry. Um, let's see. Well, I had been asked for a proposal for a non-shambling guide. The shambling guides were the books I put out in 2013 and 2015. Uh, for a non-shambling guidebook, and I worked about eight months on it because I didn't know what a proposal was, really, and I struggled with it a lot, and they, my editor ended up not wanting it, and I'm like, I could have written a book in this time, and I got really despondent, and so I wrote three extremely different proposals, and they bought one of them, and oh. that was six weeks. <laughs> oh. So that's, it was, I was like just throwing proposals at the wall at that point. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Huh. The book has changed quite a bit from the proposal, but sure. uh, I'm happy with where it is now. But it was, it was, a, it was a frustrating time. And I've, I've told my agent that I may just be someone who does better on spec. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I spend, eight months writing a book that sells that might be better than spending like a year and a half writing proposal after proposal that doesn't sell since I'm not very good at outlining, but, uh, we're seeing what happens in the next couple of months to where I'm, whether I'm going to make that decision or not. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I managed to, to sell six weeks, but it was, it took a long time and it was not the first book I tried to sell after orbit said they didn't want any more shambling guides. So, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's that's interesting because isn't the theory uh, with the whole uh, bit about proposal is that it's supposed to not 
ha- take so much time <laughs> yep. to, to do that. Um, so that, yep. yeah. Um, that's that's I, why I said maybe I'm just I'm just better off writing for spec because yeah. I can write a book in less time yeah. than it took me to go through all those failed proposals. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of those things where it's knowing knowing your strengths and playing to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you you mentioned that earlier, and that <laughs> knowing what you went through to get to six weeks really um, that I feel like that speaks to that a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I still like the books that that didn't um, get chosen. I just, you know, I may just end up writing them instead of proposing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense to me. Especially since you've put enough time into them, you have at least an idea of where they are are and where they're going. Yeah. And I'm also lucky enough to have an online audience that if I chose to self-publish them, um, they might do better than... If I didn't have one, right? Yeah, that's actually a good segue. Um, uh, because I I think you are one of the people that, um, kind of at least to me is sort of like an emblematic hybrid author. Oh yay! <laughs> and, um, I mean that's that is one of those things where everyone has their own path and and so on. But, um, it to me like I feel like you have done a really good job of bridging that knowing knowing where your audience kind of lives, but then also being able to cross over and um, sell books that are, are to, to slightly more mainstream publishers as well. Well, I, um, I'm lucky enough to where I've built an audience via podcasting. Um, right. You know, if I was starting at zero, I may not know. I, I, don't know how easy the hybrid thing would be, but well, I mean, in some ways, I almost think you did pave some of the hybrid author life. Oh, did through I? podcasting? Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, I think that that's obvious, but I think that it would not necessarily be obvious to you to see that because you you had to actually be on that path, and the path is harder to see when you're on it. Right, that's true. But um, yeah, I try to. I, I just. The hardest thing about doing the hybrid thing is that knowing when to have faith in what you're working on and when to think, maybe my editor's right about this. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you are hybrid, then you put some faith in an editor. You don't just want to go say, oh, New York publishing is is rigged and it's crap (laughs) and I'm just going to go out and publish all my crap. It's brilliant. I know it's brilliant. And even though it's crap. um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, it's the the challenge is I I was right to be confident in playing for keeps because it I was I was confident in it. They didn't want it. So I decided to self-publish it. And then it got picked up. But uh, I still am aware that not all my ideas are perfect, and so deciding when to self-publish something that no one else, that no one in publishing wants, uh, it's on—it's honestly a tough decision because you are. There's a difference between somebody who's just trying to publish something because they want to get it "quote unquote" out there, and then mm-hmm. someone who's like, "I'm a working writer. I want this to make me money. Is it going to make me money with New York Publishing?" Sure. Apparently not. Will it make me money if I put it out via self-pub? I don't know. And then you have right. to worry that if it's really bad, is it going to hurt your other sales? So it's it's a 
it's a difficult decision to make. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is is makes sense to me that it's kind of a balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it is it something that when when you I'm assuming you have an agent and and you talk about your strategies with all yes. all of this as well. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was just uh I have, I have a friend of mine who is an agent. We were just talking, in fact, two days ago about um she knows all of these books that she thinks would do really well self pub just because that they kind of fit in between places that traditional publishing aren't they're not going to take a bite on it because it's it may be too familiar to, with work that's already out there yeah if, yeah well there's also there's also the thing of of scale like for mm-hmm. me if i sold 5000 copies of a self published book i'd be real happy <laughs> if i yeah. sold 5000 copies <laughs> of a book that my publisher sold my publisher probably would not be terribly happy yeah right so yeah. it's it's if you th- like sometimes they may say you know this can make you money because it'll appeal to your small group of fans but if mm-hmm. your small group of fans buys it you're going to get 70% of what they spend on you and that mm-hmm. can be a lot of money for a relatively short number of books sold. So that's another way that if you have an audience, self-pub may be a better idea than traditional pub, just because Mm -hmm. a smaller number will help you be happy rather than... than, than... Having to hit the publisher's metrics. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone took a two pause. Did I just run everything down? No, no, no. 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 I, Jay was no. absolutely right. I was actually setting down my mug as I was uh, drinking down my tea, just as she said that. So, <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be hacking So, So, since you are the queen of podcasting and you are on a podcast, do you want to offer some advice about podcasting for newer writers? I'm happy to. I think the the, <laughs> well, the problem there is that podcasting so different now than it was when I got started that I don't know if any advice that I would give about two new podcasters would be relevant. Right. Um, oh, pshaw. No, I'm not, I'm not shaking my cane at the clouds. I'm saying that the way to build an audience is to build a time machine, go back to 2004 when there were like a thousand podcasters and NPR hadn't even heard of podcasting and start a show then. Um, right. Instead of now when NPR alone has like a thousand yeah, podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's... Uh, I guess I would just approach it from the emotional point of view like I do in I Should Be Writing, which is all of the hangups people have about doing a podcast are probably 100% in your head. Yes, your voice does not sound the same out of the speakers as it does coming out of your mouth, and that may sound weird, but... You know, you talk to people all day and they don't look at you like, wow, your voice is a horrid sound. Please stop talking. Um, And, you know, even if you hate your voice, you're not doing it for yourself. You're not going to sit there and listen to your own brilliance over and over again. And if you do, you've got a bigger problem than hating your voice. (laughs) So uh, I'd say that's one of the biggest things. I'd love to have a podcast, but I hate my voice. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like my voice either. So get over that. Get over uh, 
if you don't have anything to say, then cut all the pauses out. That's what I do. Just, you know, say something and then pause. It's not live. Um, (laughs) And then, of course, the biggest advice that I give that I'm such a hypocrite at is that, well, I have the luxury of already having an audience. But if you're trying to build an audience, consistency is big. If you do it regularly, people will be more excited about your stuff than if you don't do it regularly. Um, I've actually been striving in the past couple of weeks to start putting out content every week. And I've, I'm like two weeks in a row so far. Woo! <laughs> hey, that's better than I have been in months and months. So if I can do something next week, I'm going to be on it. But um, consistency is big. As for how long a podcast should be, the the very difficult uh, sort of quantum mechanics. Is it quantum? I'm not sure. It feels very Mine vague. Well Definitely I think quantum. It's, quantum. <laughs> it's quantum mechanics in that the, the ideal us. length of your podcast is your uh, listeners' commute time. And since your listeners right. do yeah. not have a consistent commute time across the board, you'll have people saying... Uh, your 30-minute podcast is too short because my commute's 40 minutes. And someone's saying, God, it's so long. It's like I drive to 10, ten minutes to work and you're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got like niche markets. I don't know if they still do it because I stopped listening because I thought their podcasts were way too freaking long. Um, but there are a lot of tabletop gaming podcasts that would go on for like two hours. And they wow. had huge audiences. And I, mm-hmm. I had to stop because they, I couldn't take it. I, I was just like, oh, wow, I could listen to something new or I could continue listening to this podcast that I'm only like an hour <laughs> and a half into. <laughs> so it's, it's um, and you know, I, I, I know the Quick and Dirty Network has done very well for itself. But unfortunately, and I love Mignon Fogarty. Uh, she's a friend of mine. I love her to death. I feel awful saying this, but because they're so short and they have like, an ad at the beginning and a, a recorded end cap listening mm-hmm. to a whole bunch of them at once drives me crazy because mm-hmm. I'm listening to the same ad every 10 minutes. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, yeah. you just can't, you can't win. So you choose the length that works for you and just tell everybody else to deal with it. It's free. You, you can, you can complain about the free ice cream all you want. Sorry. I'm not changing the <laughs> but flavor. It's still free. It's still yeah. free ice cream. Eat it or don't yes. eat it. Um, so those, those are – and talk about what's, what you're passionate about. That, that feels like a uh, – You'd be surprised how many people don't know that that's incredibly obvious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talk about what you're passionate about or otherwise you're just going to sound like you're bored because you probably are. Um, and it's it, – the really – it's so funny to say this now after, you know – 11 years have passed, but when I got the concept of I should be writing, I thought, well, there's already a write, a writing podcast out there. <laughs> what else do I have to offer? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, And I actually talked to the one other writing podcaster out there who was Michael J. Stackpole. A. Stackpole. J. Fox. Right. Michael A. Stackpole. And... Uh, <laughs> I talked to him about my idea, and he gave me his blessing, which was totally unnecessary. <laughs> it's, it's really funny thinking about it in the past, but but uh, there were only two well, of us. It was a new feel. So it was know. obvious that there were two writing podcasts. Um, 
and so even if everyone else, I guess, I guess it's like with writing. If writing, if you have an idea about a young woman encountering a group of vampires and she has some <laughs> sort of power and falls, one of the vampires falls in love with her, despite the fact that if he were a human, he'd be like 76 and gross. Um, <laughs> you can still write that story because, you know, Charlene Harris did it and Stephanie Meyer did it and Robin McKinley did it and Joss Whedon did it. I mean, I you can still write say. it and it'll be something different. So if you want to do a podcast on something that a whole bunch of people are already doing it on, it'll probably be different in some way. Yeah. Yeah, because if we asked everybody who was doing a writing podcast for their blessing, we'd still probably be asking people exactly. right now. Exactly, you would. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, we should get Murr's, I mean, on the off chance that any of our listeners don't have all of the contacts for Murr oh. in terms of oh, yeah. Twitter and, face, <laughs> and like, you know, Facebook pages or, or websites yes. or whatnot. Thank you, You know, Murr upcoming for, books, those kind of things. For, for joining us <laughs> here on Mad Writers Union. In the vo- volcano lair. Thank Where you. Where can people yes. find you online? Uh, Murverse.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter as Mighty Mur, And that's M-U-R. It's very simple. Don't try to throw any more vowel- vowels in there. Um, <laughs> and no more extra... Mur rhymes with fur. It's just... It's no more complicated <laughs> than that. People try to make it really, really complicated. Um... <clears throat> The uh, uh, but yes, murverse.com, Mighty Mur, and uh, that's pretty. And if you search for me on iTunes, you'll probably find a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. But the most recent things are I Should Be Writing, which is uh, for beginning fiction writers, and Ditch Diggers, which is for uh, more advanced writers who are trying to make a business out of writing. So, Mer, have you read any good books lately? Yes. I happen to be going from serious to lighthearted to stop being uh, really horribly down and then more serious. Uh, so I've gone from To Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer, and then I did oh, yeah. uh, the latest White Trash Zombie book by Diana Rowland, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And now I'm back to uh, The Obsidian Gate by N.K. Jemisin. Oh. All amazing books, Ooh. but all very different moods i may have to go back up to something light after uh i mean the obelisk gate not obsidian excuse me yeah the obelisk gate so uh yeah i'm i've been reading a lot lately and going from one extreme to the other yeah what, after what the obelisk you, gate you'll have to go straight up to straight comedy at that point i'm yeah I'm I, I kind of assume that but uh yeah how is it i haven't i haven't had a chance yet and i'm very very excited it's awesome it. i mean it's just like it it Picks up right after the fifth season leaves off, so uh, it's like you're reading the same book. Uh, it's with a couple of more points of view in there uh, to Ooh. fill in a couple of holes that are noticeable. Not not plot holes, but you know, there's some missing information in the first book that you kind of wonder about, and that starts to be revealed in the second book. So it's it's still as brilliant as the first. It's it's a wonderful read. Excellent. Cool. What about you, Tim? 
Well, uh, I've uh, also got a lot on my list. The one I'm going to actually kind of chat about is uh, an older book um, called The Unexpected Mrs. Polifax. And uh, this is the first of a long series of books. In fact, I think there were, I'm looking, holy cow, there's lots, 14 (laughs) Mrs. Polifax books or something like that. Um, And it's basically um, kind of a... Uh, an old uh, retired woman with no time on her hand, uh, with lots of time on her hands, uh, really wants to be a spy for the CIA. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's kind of cool that way that it kind of, she's just doing her thing being, you know, the, the nice old uh, grandma that you would normally see on the corner, you know, keeping track of all the kids on the corner. But, yeah, instead that she's uh, uh, in this one, she's actually kidnapped by the those rotten commies. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. This sounds yeah. like something I need to read after the obelisk game. <laughs> <laughs> it's not particular. I mean, there's bits in there that are humorous, but it's not particularly funny. It actually does. Oh. This, it does the spy slash uh, cia genre pretty well uh to be uh well i mean of the time um i'm not entirely sure when it was written but i think it, we're talking about early 60s no oh, i'm sorry 1983 wow. is when it was published so um but yeah it was a uh, it's but it harkens I mean, to it, the early 60s it's a lot of fun so anyway jay <laughs> what have you been reading still slush season (laughs) (laughs) only a couple (laughs) couple more days jay oh well there's a couple more days that you can get your uh your get your material into uncanny but um i want to say i think my tally is 180 right now um Uh, for 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 former uh jay is a slush reader at uncanny magazine i'm sorry what magazine oh i slush uncanny you're not, Hugo award-winning right. uncanny You're not magazine. saying oh, it right. Oh, right. Sorry. Hugo award-winning. The Hugo there award-winning. you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so my inbox right now, do not want. I, I fully and <laughs> completely understand. You are a hero. You truly are. Uh, I I love it, though. But, yeah. So, um, I, I am definitely still in comfort food mode, and, um... This uh, this episode, I actually want to pimp one of my friend's books, uh, Gabriel Squalia. Uh, she has put out the most recent, or her most recent book is Viscera, which I believe dropped last week. Okay. And, um, she's about to be on book tour for it. And it is a dystopian, I, I hate to be like, it's a dystopian nightmare, but I mean, like, it's... <laughs> There are trees that have basically like a functional internet. Um, the Ooh. bones of the gods are are embedded in the city. Um, it is it is a an absolutely crazy nightmare, um, identity searching kind of uh, character searching. Um, that's all I've got. I it's just it's it is a book that defies description. And uh, I highly recommend it. If you like China Mayville, if you like Neil Gaiman, this is going to be, this is a book that you really need, uh, is Gabriel Squillia's Viscera. Cool. Nina, what do you got? I've been reading um, Fran Wilde's 
Cloudbound, which dropped yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. And um, Cloudbound is the uh, sequel to her book Updraft, which has... I think I've recommended it before because the words invisible flying squid are about to enter my mouth and I feel like I've said them before on this podcast. Yes. yes. I am sure that you recommended Updraft. Well, it was one of us. I know that for sure. Oh, it might have been it might have been Tim. I, I it might have been me because I was reading it this spring, I think. So. It came up. It, did, it came up. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so this is the sequel and um uh, the main character is someone who is prominent in the first book, but uh, was not a POV character there. Ooh. So it Ooh. continues into uh, politics, and the squids are still kind of there, and there's flying, <laughs> and there's bone towers, and all the things. <laughs> awesome. Uh. I've I've seen I've seen pictures of the cover, so I I have an idea of who the main POV person might mm-hmm. be. So I'm excited. Sure. I too. I too excite. <laughs> okay. And for, and Fran is another Bible pi- Paradise grad. Was she in your year? No, I think no, she was no. fifteen. I think she's VP fifteen. Could be. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I feel like I saw that. I think I think she I think she actually posted a thank you in her blog about it. So we could go look that up. Sure. All right. Instead of sitting here guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just right. we can figure it out. In any case. All right. Um thank you again Mer for coming in uh and talking with us. You guys are a lot of hearing... fun. Thank you. Oh. Uh-huh. Hearing our uh, <laughs> volcano lair. Yes. Secret volcano lair. Do not divulge <laughs> the uh, location. Well, you had me blindfolded to get in here, so I don't think I can. Yeah. That's all right. We we have the rocket ship home, which should land you close to North Carolina. So. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Excellent, excellent. Well, cool. Thank you, guys. This has been the Mad Writers Union. Now let's get to work. Our intro music is Cephalopod, and our interlude music is Exotics, both by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey there, friends. Hope you enjoyed this show, because we sure did. Let us know what you think. You can reach us at our website, madwritersunion.com, you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash themadwritersunion. You can tweet to us on our Twitter handle, at madwritersunion. And last but not least, you can email us at madwritersunion at gmail.com. If you enjoy our podcast and want to help spread the word, please leave a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast repository. And remember, when you are returning your guest from your secret lair, double-check your coordinates, because there is a difference between metric and English standard units.
<laughs> Sorry. Awesome. <sighs> I think okay. uh, we're starting right. to be done. Are we at books well, now? With this part, anyway. Yeah, we're we're almost at books. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Am I supposed to start this? I don't know. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. It, 